Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Good morning, church. We'll go ahead and dismiss our three and five-year-olds and the six and seven-year-olds to their classrooms. And as they're heading out, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to be in, uh, starting out in Genesis 1. And then from there, we will, uh, we'll bounce around to uh, a few different passages um, as we open this up. But we're continuing in through our Epiphany series. Um, and you might be wondering, like, what does that even mean, Epiphany? Uh, it's, it's just a fancy word that is talking about the manifestation of Christ. Um, and so it's how Christ is revealing himself to our world, uh, how he's making himself known to our world. And Epiphany is something that the church historically has, uh, has followed on the liturgical calendar uh, as it follows right after Advent. So Christ being born is what we celebrate in Advent and the coming of Christ. And Epiphany is then looking at now that Christ is here, how is he making himself known? How is he kind of taking from that birth announcement to now be, being able to walk around and say, this is who I am, this is why I came, this is what I can do, and this is ultimately what you should follow, uh, what you should put your trust in. And so the manifestation of Christ, and there's different ways in which you can uh, preach the manifestation of Christ. And so each year we kind of take a different angle and how we look at that. And, and the way that we're looking at it this year as we walk through is how he manifests himself in the life of the body. Because the church is, yes, the church. It is a community. It is a people. It is um, a family of God. We, we use all of that language. Uh, but the language that the Bible uses most often for the church is it being the actual body of Christ. And so it is the hands and feet of Jesus. It is the embodiment of when Jesus went back to heaven, when he ascended after his 40 days appearing to the disciples and giving them that last charge. Uh, he then went back to heaven. And the way in which Jesus from there continues to move and do his ministry on earth is via the body of Christ being the church, the gathered saints who come into the fold, the family of God. And so because the body of Christ is Jesus being embodied throughout our world and how he's making himself known, we wanted to spend a series looking at how that actually functions. How do we relate with one another? How, how, do, we, how do we find unity with one another? And so that's what we looked at the first week. Josh unpacked for us the unity of the body of Christ, the unity of the church being united to Christ and then us being united to one another. And then we started walking through, okay, how does this flesh itself out and what the New Testament kind of uses as the 59 one another's. All right, it's the way we one another one another. It's the way we relate to each other. It's the way we encourage and love. And so we, we've taken those 59 one another's and we've broke them down into really what our mission as a church is. And so as we exist as the district church to glorify God, like that's our main goal. We want to honor and worship God in all things that we do. The way in which we honor and worship God is by making disciples. It's by teaching people and training people to be able to see Jesus, know Jesus, love Jesus, worship Jesus, follow Jesus. It's making disciples of Jesus. And so as Jesus has commanded us, we are to make disciples of all nations through, and this is really our four buckets of ministries in the church, gospel-centered worship, 
gospel-centered community, gospel-centered service, and gospel-centered multiplication. And in those four buckets, we really call those kind of the discipleship traits. And so as we, as we look through and just kind of distill throughout the scriptures what a disciple, what a follower of Jesus looks like, well, it includes these four things. A disciple worships. And so last week we looked at what that meant. What, what does a disciple do in worship? And the way that, again, Jesus himself boils that down is into the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So, so loving God and loving others is, is kind of the umbrella term that is used for worshiping God. You want to worship God? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. You want to worship God? Love one another because he includes that in the great commandment. And so that's how we, we kind of use that as really the resolution for our lives. Every single January, just, just keep that ongoing resolution. My, my goal, what I want to resolve for this year is to love God and to love others. Like that's what he's commanded me to do. And so that's what I'm going to devote my life to in bringing him worship. And so last week, go back and listen to that one because here's the, here's the reality. You can't do it. <laughs> like you can't love God and you can't love one another in your own intellect, in your own energy, in your own strength, in your own merit, in your own fill-in-the-blank. You can't do it. But God's commanded us to do it, so then how do we do it? Well, we need the means to be able to actually fulfill that mission, which is Jesus Christ himself. We need Jesus to live in us so that he can live through us how to love God and how to love one another. Why? Because Jesus did it perfectly in his life. He did it without sinning. And so he earns that righteousness for us to then come live in us so that we can live a life that is worshiping him. And then he provides the method for us, which is what we're going to start fleshing out now. The method for us is love one another just as I have loved you. So how do we love one another? How do we love God? Well, we do it the way Jesus did it. And so that, that, that calls us to then dive deep into how Jesus spoke, how Jesus thought, how Jesus served, how Jesus uh, told stories, how Jesus taught, how Jesus um, went and healed people. Like anything and everything that has to do with the life of Jesus, we are to devote ourselves to studying because it is the method for us. It is how we love God and how we love one another. And so we're, gonna, we're even going to dive into, later on as we uh, close out this series, we're going to jump into Jonah for about six to seven weeks. After we get done with Jonah, and this will be following Easter, we're going to then dive into one of the Gospels. We're going to dive into the book of Luke, and this is going to be, if you were around with us back in our Acts series, uh, where you were like, is this thing ever going to end? That's going to be Luke for us as well, all right? So we're going to dive into Luke, and we don't know how long we will be in Luke. Uh, but we'll be in there for longer than you're probably, um, at this point in your sanctification, willing to be in it. And that's okay, all right? We'll get there. We'll get there. But we're going to be looking at the life of Jesus, and it's going to be a good thing for us. And so today, as we move into it, we're just moving through kind of the vision of the church. Gospel-centered worship then draws us into gospel-centered community. A disciple belongs to a community of faith. A disciple belongs to a church, all right? So there is no idea of us being able to do Christianity alone, to do Christianity in isolation. Why? Because God did not create it that way. 
God did not design it that way. Actually, God didn't design anything in the way of doing it in isolation. That even includes just our, our entire uh, creation in and of itself. None of it was done in isolation. And so the two things that I want to show for you today are the foundation for community and then the function of community. And so where last week we looked at 13 of the 59 one another's were the command to love one another. Today we're going to be looking at 27 of the 59 one another's that draw us into community and how we are to relate to one another in that community. This is, what we, this is, this is how we one another one another. This is how we do that. And so we're going to be walking through that today, Funct- or foundation and then function. And so beginning with foundation, this idea of creating community, I want you to see this in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And I know we've, we've taught on this passage ex- I mean, extensively throughout um, the life of our church up to this point, uh, because in order to really understand what God is doing and how God is ordering things, you've got to always go back to how he started, how he created things to exist, because that is our foundation. Like We can't form our own ideas in order to say, I think this is how things operate. I think this is how things work. No, we got to go back to, oh wait, God created me. He created things. He created people. How did he order it so that it then orders me? So that it then allows me to rightfully think through and categorize those things in the way that they should function. And so Genesis 1, looking at 26, then God said, and if, you, if you've got Bibles in front of you or notepads, you can underline or highlight. Uh, if you're on a, a, a device, there's, there's ways you could do that. I'm uh, not the best when it comes to that, but, uh, but figure it out. I want you to underline some things here. Or make mental notes. Then God said, let us. All right, underline let us. Make man in our image. Underline our image. After our likeness. Underline our likeness. And let them. Underline let them. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Underline them. And God blessed them. Underline them. And God said to them. Underline them. Be fruitful and multiply. And fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now one thing to point out here. Up until this point, through God's creative order, it's been, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be light, let there be land, let there be sun, let there be day, let there be night, so forth and so forth. This is the first time in his creative order that he changes his language from let there be to let us. Let us. Which means what he's doing there is he's now drawing a higher intrinsic value in the creative order than he's done up until this point. He's ascribing to what he's about to create higher value than what he's already created. Because he's doing something that he's now doing in this creation that has not been there before. He's about to put his image into what he's going to create that he's not put in before. 
Now, a lot of times people say, well, you know, creation is the fingerprints of God. He's got his fingerprints on everything. Absolutely, he's got his fingerprints on everything. When you go and you stand before the Grand Canyon, there's a reason why you stand in awe, because you could not do that. Like, it, it, it it is pulling you in to see that there's something bigger than you. Like, when you see the ocean for the first time, There's a reason why you kind of step back and it almost takes your breath away because you're like, it's so expansive. Because, again, it's bigger than you. There's there's fingerprints that are bigger than you. Creation is preaching the fact that there's creator. 100%. But that creation does not bear the image of God. It does not have that intrinsic value for it. Let us make man in our image. And the interesting thing to hear, see, is let us. There is a community that is about to create a community. There is, and this is where we first start to get the Trinitarian language. This is not God being schizophrenic and, un, you know, not really understanding who he is. And he's just like, let us, because like, I don't know what I am, but I'm just going to say, let us. No, there is a community of Father, Son, Holy Spirit that have existed for eternity in perfect holy matrimony, fill in the blank, whatever you want to call it. And this community is making man a community in their image, in their image and in their likeness. Which means they cannot exist without the other. Cannot exist without the other. Why does this matter? Because it shapes how you prioritize your life. And it shapes how you then relate with one another. And how you view one another. When you begin to view others with the lenses of how God views us. God views us as humanity. As the image of himself. The image of God, there's, which means there's higher value, there's higher worth, there's higher dignity. And here's, here's, this is what separates us from the animal kingdom. All right? I know I got some animal lovers in here, and, and I will, we'll fight. We'll debate over this. All right? Like we'll, we'll go that far. Your dog does not hold the value of my son. All right? You might call it your, you know, you might call it your child, But it's not your child. All right? It's a pet. It does not bear the image that God bears. It does not hold that same intrinsic value. I mean, we and we experience like you lose pets, you cry over them 100 percent All right? That's that is good. That's good. In our family, this is a side note, I don't even have this in our notes, but in our family, uh, my wife's mother has a dog. The dog passed away just a few months ago. Sad story, okay? Like, there's, there's tears, there's weeping, there's crying. And, and our kids loved Coco, all right? If you've met Coco, Coco's a cute little dog, loved Coco. <laughs> Ezra's got this tapped in already. Coco, we go to have a conversation with him because we know we're going to be going to Tennessee and Coco's not going to be in Tennessee when we get there. And we didn't want him to have this like existential crisis of like what happened, what is death, what is all this. So we just wanted to kind of get ahead of the curve and just talk to him about it. And we say, okay, hey, just want to let you know, buddy, that Coco's died and Coco's no longer going to be there. And without skipping a beat, we can just get another dog. He understands the intrinsic value that we're talking about here, okay? 
yeah, you, you can just go get another one. And I know that, that's, like, that's like a weird kind of dark side of the coin here, but, but it's just kind of true. People, humanity, hold a higher intrinsic value of worth and dignity. And God has created us to exist in a community in which we see one another with this higher intrinsic value. And it's going to prioritize the way that you live your life because God has called us to exist in a community. In a community. So what this means is, if you prioritize hobby over community, you're doing it wrong. If you prioritize business over community, you're doing it wrong. If you prioritize uh, whatever it is, fill in the blank, over community and doing those things in isolation, then what you're actually doing is you're robbing yourself of the joy and the goodness of life, the gift that God has given you with community. This is a foundation here. And what God has done is not only has he created us to exist in community, we then broke and fractured that community when we sinned and we separated. Adam and Eve separated. Uh, Cain and Abel separated when they killed each other. Like the community was broken and fractured. And what God is doing with the church is he's now redeeming that community and purchasing it by the blood of Jesus to then bring us back together so that we can continue to live life with the way God designed it to be done. To live life in such a way that we are, as it says in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, you are a chosen race. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. This talking about Christianity here is not individual. This is group. Okay, This is a people. You are a holy nation. You are a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That sounds individualistic. However, he called you out of it into a people. Into a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a chosen race. Once you were not a people. Once you were on your own, left your own devices, and it wasn't going to well for you. It wasn't going to end well for you. But he's redeemed you and brought you into a people. And so now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you had and have received mercy. So before becoming a disciple of Jesus, really the only person you could rely on was yourself. And how terrifying is that? Like, no one has lied to you more than you've lied to yourself. It's just the truth. No one's lied to you more than you've lied to yourself. And then you're going to try to put all the eggs in the basket that I'm going to rely on myself alone to live a good and abundant life. And what God is saying is, is he's redeeming you out of that posture. He's redeeming you out of what Hosea 10, 13 says. Because let, let's say, is this not countercultural right now? Is this not going against what our society is calling us and preaching to us is um, look within. You are your God. You have all the answers you need. You have all the energy that you need. You have all the insight that you need. You have everything that you need within yourself. And so just dive in to yourself and do as Fleetwood Mac says, go your own way. 
But here's what the Bible has to say about that. Hosea 10, 13. You have plowed iniquity. You have reaped injustice. You have eaten the fruit of lies because you have trusted in your own way. You've trusted in your own way. And so it's good news for the Bible to actually tell us Stop trusting yourself. Stop trusting your own way. Stop going with this light bulb of, I think this is a good idea. Let's give this a try. And what we end up doing is we plow iniquity and we reap injustice. and We eat the fruit of our lives. The reason why we are preaching for you to denounce isolation and doing life by yourself is because the Bible denounces it. We are countercultural right now in telling you that the worst thing for you to do is to look within yourself, to find yourself. And that the only thing that you need is you. Like that's not, that's not what the Bible's preaching. And it's just not true. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 puts it this way. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So this is the biblical foundation for community. The Bible, time and time again, like, The Bible did not just create one man and say, hey, go and steward the entire world. Go and subdue it. Go and cultivate it. Created a helper for him. He created a community so that together they can subdue the earth and have dominion over it and rule it and reign it. It was a community that then brought forth, be fruitful and multiply, a community. And God is ultimately calling us back to this when it comes to what the gospel is doing in our lives is that you cannot go your own way. You cannot do this alone. You need to do it in community. And so that's the foundation. That's that's what helps us understand then why we're here today is because God's ordered it this way. And so because that's the foundation, that then leads into our function, which is then how do we cultivate this community once we're in it? How do we cultivate it once we're in it? And I want you to see this in Hebrews 10. Go ahead and turn there with me. Hebrews 10. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 25. 19 through 25. And it starts out like this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us, Through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. With our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
You're even starting to see some of these one another's flesh themselves out in this as we read through it. But there's a couple of things I want you to see here in this passage. First, you see the creating of this new family as the writer of Hebrews um, refers to us as brothers. All right, that's a deeper intimacy than just like, hey, therefore, friends. No, no, he's using familial language here. And what he's saying is with familial language here is um, that I can't unfriend you. Like, like you are brothers. Like I, I have a brother. His name's Corey. He's two years older than me. I can't just go to Corey and say, you're no longer my brother. Like we're, we're blood brothers. And, and us as the church are blood brothers and sisters because of the purchased blood of Jesus. Because of what these first few verses are talking about. That's we enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. So this family is a blood-bought family. That sounds weird, but that is what we are. We are a family of God where we consider one another brothers and sisters. And that when he's talking about this faith that we're walking into, he doesn't say, since I have confidence to enter the holy places, but since we have confidence to enter the holy places. When we're talking about Christianity and we're talking about how it works out in our life, it is never a personal relationship that I have with Jesus. It is a public and collective relationship that I have with Jesus where I belong to a community of faith, brothers and sisters, where we together by faith are following Jesus, where we are holding to a confession over the house of God, where we are stirring up one another to love and good works. We do not do this alone, and we do not do this by neglecting to meet together. We must meet together in order for this to cultivate community. And I love this. Remember the language God was using when He was creating humanity? Let us make man in our image? Well, this writer of Hebrews is now also calling us to fulfill that same language of let us. Draw near to God. Let us hold fast this confidence and this assurance of faith. And this hope that we have in Jesus. Like let us, what, we are, what God has cultivated in the creative order, we are now also cultivating and creating within the community of faith. And really that is what God is ultimately doing in and through us as we know from our message last week. Like Jesus is working this out in our lives. Jesus is working this out in our pursuits of one another and how we reason with one another and how we encourage one another and how we pray for one another. All of that is happening. And an interesting thing that I want you to see here in this language that we have drawn out of Hebrews 10 is actually 1 Corinthians 13, verse 13. And this is sandwiched between everyone knows the love chapter of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind. And it goes, you know, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've heard it. But then it's also sandwiched between 1 Corinthians 14, which is talking about the body of Christ and how the members have gifts in order to serve one another. And so sandwiched between the love chapter and the body of Christ serving one another is this one verse that has some ingredients for how this functions together. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three. 
but the greatest of these is love. If the covenant community, the church, were to be glued together with three ingredients to abide in Jesus, it's these three. And we see this worked out in Hebrews 10. Draw near to God in faith. Hold fast the confession of our hope and push one another to love and good works. And so those three ingredients are what we as a church are constantly helping each other follow Jesus in. We're constantly helping each other with our faith. We're constantly helping each other with our hope in the truth that he has proclaimed us. That's the the confidence we have in what we understand, what we believe about him. And then pushing us to when we have the faith in him and we have the hope in him, how that then meets the road is the tangible expression of those things and how we love and do the good works. How we take that to others outside of us. The three main goals we have in cultivating community is helping each other believe and trust in Jesus. Helping each other understand God's word and the sound doctrine preached and our confession of hope. And helping each other put those things into practice. And so functionally speaking, if Hebrews 10 is exhorting us to do this, it's also exhorting us to do this by not neglecting to meet together. All right? Like there's, in our day and age, and there's some, there's some um, secular mindsets out there, some secular intellects out there who are like, you know, the only reason why the church met together 2,000 years ago was because they didn't have technology. They didn't have books that they could read. They didn't have Bibles spread across that they could read in their own privacy of their own home. They didn't have podcasts that they could listen to. They couldn't stream sermons. They couldn't do those things. So they had to get together and meet with one another. And so what's the purpose now of getting together and meeting with one another if we have access at any time to be able to do that? Well, one is because we want to be biblical, not technological. We want to be biblical, and not technological. And here's what I mean by that. There's three different ways, and you're going to hear us kind of talk about this in like concentric circles. There's three different ways in which the church does not neglect to meet together. And one of those ways is the assembly. Is the assembly. We could just call this our worship gathering. This is where we come together as the whole church. All right? And I know we're not the whole church in here. We've got people who are sick and out and traveling, and, and that's, but we still draw together, and we don't just pull that out of anything. A lot of people say that started at the Reformation when they were pulling together to be able to finally teach beyond the, the, the ability of just a priest getting up and teaching the scriptures. We want to be able to preach this to the people, so let's teach them. No, this this goes way, way back before that. This goes all the way back to Moses when God is literally pulling his people together and he creates a day of assembly where Moses is to do one or do two things. Get the people together and teach them the words of God. Like that begins, and and again, we're all about creative order. We're all about going to foundation for why we do what we do today. The reason why we do this Today is because it's the way God has ordered and created his people. Is by gathering them together and letting them sit under God's words as we preach and teach. That's the reason why we preach through books of the Bible 
And you don't just get these topical messages where we're like, you know what? I want to help you. I like golf. And so we're not going to come up here and be like, let's live a birdie life in a bogey world. And so I'm going to kind of attach, you know, a couple of scriptures that make that sound good and fluffy. And then we're just going to hope that that encourages you for a couple of days uh, this week. No, that's not going to do anything for you. Those are TED Talks. And you can go listen to all the TED Talks you want. They're good. But what we're called to do is to preach the word of God, not Dwayne's word, not Josh's word, not Ransford's word. Not, we're called to preach the word of God. So that's why we saturate sermons with scripture, because that's what God called Moses to do with the people. That's how he molded and shaped a people was by getting them under the word of God. And so we sing the word of God, we pray the word of God, we confess the word of God, we call people to worship under the word of God. We do everything by highlighting this and this alone. This alone. We see that in Deuteronomy 4.10. How on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may then teach them to their children also. And you see this in Deuteronomy 4.14, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might, not do, that you might do them in the land that you're going over to possess. So the first gathered church service is, is, is God telling Moses to get the people together and preach the word to them. And that's going to train them on how to live their lives. And we continue to do that. Even more than that, and there's so many other scriptures, even New Testament scriptures, where they're attending the temple daily to hear the word, and then you'll see it here in a minute. So that's the first thing. We, we do not neglect to meet together by coming together corporately as the assembly of God's church, the body of Christ. Secondly, we also not neglect to meet together by getting together in smaller groups. And everything we do is with intentionality. We see this in Acts 2, 41 through 47. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. All right, so we're talking, this is a megachurch, all right? This is Jerusalem. This is uh, literally 40 days after Jesus uh, is gone. Peter comes and he preaches a message, and this is at Pentecost, and 3,000 souls are saved. All right, like that's a lot of that's a lot of people. Okay, if you if if you don't know math, how are we going to meet together with that many people in an assembly? All right, well I'm, they've got some theaters. They figured that out back in the day. But in addition to that, how do they then also fulfill Acts two forty one through forty seven, which says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, assembly, and breaking bread in their homes. So were they, were they sending 3,000 people? And that's the bottom number there. There was more than that. Were they sending 3,000 people to one home? No. They were all scattering into smaller groups in homes to continue praying with one another and encourage one another. 
They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord continued to add to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we also have this group of smaller groups where like, it's easy for us to come in here and do what we're doing now. But the accountability of being able to work out in your life how we one another each other isn't as easy to do in this context. What's easy to do in this context, and the reason why we do it, is to preach the Word of God. This is the best avenue that we have to be able to do that from a biblical perspective. And so we're going to do that. And, and there's, there's people, at least once a year, we get someone who's like, you know, under kind of like an innovative mindset, and they're like, hey, what, what's a different way in which we can preach the Word of God? I don't know, but maybe go figure that out somewhere else. This is what we're going to do. We're going to give our lives to just gathering people and preaching the Word of God. That's what we're going to do. In smaller groups, this is another way in which we then dive deeper into relationship with one another so that we can then be known and know one another and begin to hold each other accountable to the faith, hope, and love that we are called to do in how we, we one another. That was a weird one. How we are together with one another. And then there's a third one that goes even deeper. And I want you to see this. Matthew 17, 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. Also, when Jesus goes to pray in Gethsemane, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which are James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled and prayed and asked them to watch. So there's something that then Jesus takes even deeper than, than gathering the twelve, gathering the small group, is what we'll just call disciple groups, D groups, whatever it is. But this is where it gets down to the nitty-gritty of having one to two to three people in your life that are in pursuit of you as you are in pursuit of them and how you are living out faith, hope, and love. How you are abiding in Jesus. Because this is really just the, the three concentric circles. Like Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. He taught to the masses. He, 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 he did not neglect to continue to assemble people just as the prophets did, just as Moses did. Jesus did that. They attended the temple. They reasoned with the, the masses in that regard. In addition to that, Jesus selected the twelve, and he had a smaller group that were with him for three years. And even within that group, he had the concentric circle of James, Peter, and John where he was modeling for them, hey, this is how you pray. And even rebuking them when they were falling asleep when, when he was praying. Hey, this is how you serve. Hey, this is how you uh, encourage others. Hey, this is how you teach God's statutes to others. And so what we're calling ourselves to do is to meet together within these, these groupings because this is biblically what we see being fleshed out in the one another's. So at the very minimum, it's biblical, good, and acceptable for us to gather or meet together as the full body of Christ. For us to also meet together in smaller groups in homes, 
Again, kind of the size of Jesus' disciples, about 12 people or so. And then for us to also meet together in groups of no more than three or four. And then in that, to then let the 59 one another's cultivate these meeting togethers. And what I want to do now is I'm actually just going to read through the 27 of the 59 one another's that really have to do with this idea of community and how we relate with one another. And what I want us to do now, I'm not going to like pause and break down. I'm going to break down one of them because it's a weird one. But most of them, I'm just going to, I just want you to just hear this word of God. Let it wash over you. Let it, let it do the work in your mind and heart that God can do through his Holy Spirit right now. And let this be what drives you and how you go about pursuing each other with this lens. Mark 9.50 says, be at peace with each other. Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Romans 12.16 says, live in harmony with one another. Romans 14.13, stop passing judgment on one another. Romans 15.7 says, accept one another then just as Christ has accepted you. Romans 16.16, greet one another with a holy kiss. All right, so that's an interesting one. All right, what do we mean by that? And, and what it really means by that is the opposite of what Judas did. All right? Judas betrayed Jesus with an unholy kiss. Which means he did not honor Jesus with the value, worth, and dignity that Jesus deserved in that moment. And rather, he sold Jesus to profit his own gain in order to honestly destroy himself. That's what happened. Because the guilt and shame that he then felt led him to his own suicide. Greeting one another with a holy kiss is just looking at everything Jesus did and do the opposite. We're seeing one another with the value, honor, and dignity that they possess, and we are greeting them as if they're Jesus. And outdoing one another and honoring each other and pursuing one another in that regard. When you come together to eat, wait for each other. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three, And the, greet one another with a holy kiss is, is quite a few of these. 1 Corinthians 16, 20. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Galatians 5.15, if you keep on biting and devouring one another, you will be destroyed by one another. So don't do that. Galatians 5.26, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. Galatians 6.2, carry one another's burdens. Ephesians 4.2, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. Colossians 3.9, do not lie to one another. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. Colossians 3.13 also says, forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. James 4.11, do not slander one another. James 5.9, don't grumble against one another. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another. James 5.16 also says, pray for one another. 1 Peter 3.8, love one another deeply from the heart. 1 Peter 3.8 also says, live in harmony with one another. 
1 Peter 4, 8, love each other deeply. 1 Peter 5, 14, and again, greet one another with a kiss of love. So these are just some of the ways that, again, the New Testament has commanded us as this new community of faith that God has created and has redeemed out of a people who were not a people that we are to encourage and pursue and relate with one another. And so I encourage you, again, I can send this list to you guys. I'm always willing to just share the sermon with you. If you ask me, uh, we'll email it to you. To just look at these things and, and pray, again, even over yourself, that you would embody this Christ-like behavior towards one another as we are meeting together in the different groups that we exist and that we have as a church. And bringing it all back together as we come to our table, to our communion, it really does bring us back to this Hebrews 10 and how Jesus created this body of Christ. How he created this people. In that verse 19 of Hebrews 10, Therefore, brothers, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, You see, what that means is that there was a time in our history where the people of God, and even those not among the people of God, they had no access or even right to be in the presence of God, could not commune with God. And so God created the tabernacle. He created the temple, and he created it with sections And there was a section that he literally uh, veiled so that nobody would go behind because that was where the presence of God resided. And nobody could go there because they weren't worthy to go there. They, They were sinners. God cannot be in the presence and union with sin. And so he had to solve that by sending his son Jesus to, again, live the perfect life, to be righteous, and to be in perfect union with Him, and then to go to the cross and sacrifice His life, be put to death, because that's what you and I deserved. Because of our sin, we deserve to be put to death. But when He is put to death, and His blood is shed, and His body is broken, literally. I mean, there's not only does the New Testament testify to this, but there are even Jewish historians who are not Christian who testify that this actually happened, that at the moment when Jesus Christ is on the cross and he breathed his last breath in the physical temple that was existing, the, the thing that, that separated the people from God's presence, the veil, it just miraculously tore in half. And the reason why it tore in half because, was because Jesus finally provided the only way for people to enter the Holy of Holies. That is to be in relationship with God himself. Jesus breaking his body and shedding his blood. It forgives us of our sins and it gives us God's righteousness through Christ. And we're now able to enter in 
as we are purchased by this blood, we are able to enter into this family of God. The, literally, as it says in Hebrews 10, the house of God. Like we're invited, we're in the house of God now. Like God resides here, we're in it. And not only that, but we are the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ in perfect union with him. And it's only possible because of the work that he did on the cross in breaking his body and shedding his blood to pay what Jesus, to pay what God needed paid in order for us to commune with him. And so as you go ahead and stand, if you don't have the elements, I want you to go ahead and go back and grab them off the table. As we stand, this is what we celebrate and this is what we remember. That God is creating this community of faith by the sacrifice that his son Jesus offered on the cross. That he broke his body and that he shed his blood. And so we're remembering that, we're celebrating that. We're worshiping him and what he has done for us. And it has created this community of faith that we then are able now to one another, each other. That we're able to pursue one another in the same way that Christ has pursued us in all of these things. Father, we thank you so much for what you have done for us. We thank you that you we thank you first and foremost that you created everything that's in existence. You created the heavens and the earth. You created the, the universe. You created the day and night, sun and moon, the land and sea. And then you created us. And you created us in your image with value and worth and dignity. And to exist in a community that love you just as we love one another. And that community has finally been ultimately redeemed in the church. The body of Christ, the community of faith. And it's all possible because of your son Jesus and what he has accomplished. And so we thank you, Lord, and we worship him and we pursue him now more than ever, in faith, hope, and love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's remember now Jesus Christ for what he's done. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at